Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence, a conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? A few weeks ago, my friend Leon Lebrecht connected me with Rob Shooks of Seller 1914, located off of Torch Lake in gorgeous northern Michigan. Rob is a nice and welcoming guy and is one of the proud fourth generation of farmers, now winemakers, at Cellar 1914. Rob said, every bottle has a story. Get a few bottles ready to taste and enjoy the Cellar 1914 story on today's episode of Generation Excellence. Welcome, Rob, to Generation Excellence and read some of the story, but to hear between the lines. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited to be a part of it. Your friend came in the winery, told us about it, and uh, you know we just like getting our name out there with everything. And I think it's really cool. I've listened to most of your podcasts now and learning the other families, the way they operate businesses, and you know it, it's it's relevant to ours, but we're also completely different being in agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, there's some commonalities even in very different fields or areas, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it, it's. I, I like what you're doing here, and I love sharing our story, so I'm pretty excited. Unfortunately, uh, Greg is out in the orchard today. RJ's in the tasting room, so you're just getting me today. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, as I work from home, I'm in the sort of lower level. I can't quite call it the cellar, but well, <laughs> for 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 picture purposes, I'll say that's where I'm sitting talking to you. And so, Perfect. But but yeah, I mean, and, and the structure is is really, and because you have this rich history, is is talk about some things in the past, do some looks into the future, which is really important and, and hopeful and inspiring to do in these times we're living in right now, and, and talk about kind of what's going on in the here and now and yeah. in, the, in the summer in Michigan. So for those who are not familiar with Shook's Farm and Cellar 1914 and 100 mm-hmm. and, and plus year journey, just to, to go, let's go back to the, the found, because it's a great story about sort of the <laughs> a dream of someone owning some property, I think, and, and not only making that happen, but what, where it leads. So if you would tell it as it's been told to you or carried along the generations about the founding story of your business, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I might be a little rusty with it because the tasting room just reopened a month or so ago and you know, everybody <laughs> likes to hear the story with it. Um, but the, as the story goes, uh, our family homesteaded about a mile and a half, two miles from where our farm is today. Um, and on the way to church every Sunday morning, our great-grandfather, Vet Shooks, would ride by on Bennett Hill Road and what was Peebles Road at the time, and he saw a wild cherry tree growing on the farm. And he told his parents every Sunday, I'm going to buy that property one day, and I'm going to start a cherry farm. And 106 years later now, we are still growing cherries. A lot of things have changed over the time. Um, but you know, we still focus on cherries. We now have 10 acres of wine grapes. Uh, we had 500 head of cattle. We did almost well over a thousand acres of row crops in our prime. Um, so yeah, that's a quick, quick rundown of it. The winery's only been in business for just over a year now, Memorial Day of 2019 when we started. Um, so we'll get into in a little bit the sort of, you know, the 
future generations kind of exploring a, a move into a different area or the, the embracing of, of making wine and the whole winery operation. But so from your great grandfather, what, what, what are some of the milestones or, or the both smooth or maybe bumpy pass alongs as this, as this family operation goes through the generations? Uh, we're in the transition phase from third to fourth generation right now, which is a very special story and, you know, oh, tiny percentile that happens. <laughs> yeah. Special, but also a bit of a headache. Okay. <laughs> um, just about, about how much legal stuff has to go on right now ah. with everything. So it becomes, you know, lawyers just talking to each other, trying to get everything figured out. Um, and you know, the way, the way that my dad and his cousin wanted to hand it down to us wasn't the best way um, tax-wise to do it yeah. and everything. So it just becomes such a mesh to where muddy waters basically of how everything goes. Um, that, that was difficult for us. We're still in the transition phase of everything now. My dad and his uncle, or sorry, his cousin own the land right now that the farm is on. And they've basically gifted us the equipment, the farming operation. That's in our hands. Um, but we still make payments to them for the land company. Yeah, because the so. complexity of land plus business operations equipment. Exactly. And so how, how from the great-grandfather to your grandfather, or how, 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 how did that proceed? Are there any stories from that era? So that it transition? went from... From my grandfather, my great grandfather, starting in right. 1914, um, went down to his two sons, Verse and Marv, who was my grandpa, and they owned it. Um, I want to say into the 70s or so. Okay. And then that's when my dad, uh, his cousin Brian, and then his brother Dale, who passed um, back in 2004, 2005, with cancer. Um, and now it's to my brother and Dale's middle son, RJ. Um, and that's kind of the way that it's been handed down throughout the farm um, since 106 years ago. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. Are there some uh, kind of statements, uh, motto that kind of goes back to the earliest generations, that, you know, kind of the values, principles, so it's just, just just something that, 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 that lives and sustains uh, the storytelling? I think one of the things that great-grandpa Shooks always used to say that if it looks good, it is good. Okay. Um, we've kind of modified that a little bit. Uh, if it performs, it is good. Um, because we, we do like to keep everything neat around here and clean and kept up and just have it looking nice and welcoming, um, especially during this time of what we're going through right now. Um, if we present a clean atmosphere, which we, you know, we're disinfecting all the time, cleaning all the time, taking care of everything, um, just trying to upkeep it. And since we have 1,100 acres, that takes a lot of our time to get that done as well. Sure. <laughs> but, so what's your first memory of this business, this family business? Man, uh, <laughs> we we all started working around the age of 10, 11, 12 on the okay. farm. I mean, it was, if you could reach the pedals of a tractor, you're operating a forklift or operating a rollout. Um, but some of my best memories of the farm is my grandpa. 
Hmm. Um, and that's what makes it a lot of fun too. Cause I see my kids interacting with my dad. Um, they're having a blast, but we grew up just tearing around the farm on four wheelers, <laughs> dirt bikes, and just trying not to get ourselves killed. But I do have to say that it would be family growing up because we even have, uh, so in our tasting room, we took everything from the farm and put it in the tasting room of just memorabilia and history of the farm. We have, it's an ugly old Formica table that we used to sit at for breakfast every morning in the summer. And I remember doing that at age six, seven, eight. Um, we'd feed the cattle. We'd go help our dads feed the cattle and ride to the other farm with them without seatbelts on and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then come back to the farm and my grandpa's... We uh, condone safety on this podcast, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my grandpa's wife, uh, Doris, would always have breakfast cooked for us every single morning. We'd have eggs, we'd have toast, we'd have bacon, we'd have cheese. And just she'd have a full meal for us. Um, I, I also had a grandma Doris. Did so, you? Yeah, okay. that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> yep, we, we called her Graham and she'd, uh, th those are some of the best memories that I have. And we have that table. It looks ugly as sin in the tasting room. But anything that we can share a story with anyone and relate to them, uh, we find is very valuable in this business. Well, I, I think you're into storytelling. I applaud kind of doing some of the archival work and keeping some of those things alive. Then also around the operation is an indoors at a basketball court. So that that's still up and coming. Okay. Um, my dad and his cousin and his brother, when they were younger, they had one of the old barns, uh, hayloft that it was, and they had a basketball court inside of it. And that's one thing we'd still like to build to this day, um, just to have it for, you know, for something for our kids to do, for customers' kids to do and everything. Um, they had, they took an old shop rag and they dumped paint on it and literally painted the lines <laughs> on the basketball court with it. So I wish we still had, you know, that building standing and everything and just share that more of a story. But that, that is probably one of the future things that we're looking at too, is rebuilding that, making our tasting room a little bit bigger because we did this, um, our tasting rooms in one of our old feedlots right now. Um, so it was one, it was our finishing lot of a barn. Um, so we gutted it, took all the concrete out, ripped the walls down, and we basically built a building inside of an existing building. Um, so what's the genesis of getting into the wine, the wine business? Uh, where, <laughs> What's that? When, when did that all come about? And kind of just, and I know there's a story there. Oh yeah, there, there's definitely a story there. And that, we, we planted some grapes in about 2015. Okay. And I'll rewind that for a minute. I, I left the farm um, upon completion of high school. I didn't want any part of it. Oh, I, I was going to ask about that. Okay. Yeah, I, I took off and I didn't want any part of it. Um, so I went to college, spent four years at Hope studying exercise science, mm -hmm. and I took off to um, work with the Oakland A's for a year, and then I was with North Carolina State for another, but I was doing internships and never ended up landing a job in um, exercise science. So I called my brother up one day and asked him, you know, what, what do you think about me coming back? Um, and he said, I don't know, we're, we're up for debate on it. We're up for talk about it. So we did that and I ended up coming back and I was trying to find my place on the farm because we had five of us on the farm okay. at that point. 
Um, so I was helping, you know, with the cattle, I was helping with the cherries, I was helping with the row crops. And then I also started taking over the book work with my mom. And so I was, I was getting into that. I'm kind of a numbers guy. All right. And I started looking into everything and I, I asked my mom one day, I go, so what does it cost us to grow a pound of cherries, you know, roughly, or what does it cost us to, you know, raise a head of steer? And then she didn't have any answers. So I went to the other guys and I asked them, hey, what's our numbers here? Does anyone know? Um, and miraculously for the hundred years that we were doing that, we had no idea what wow. our numbers were. Yeah. So there's that um, concept because you like storytelling too. Numbers can tell a story and paint. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Sure. So I, I dove into it quite a bit. And over the course of a year or two, um, I presented everybody, Hey, you know, we're not, we're not, um, row crops aren't holding their end and cattle's not holding the, their end up of the deal or anything. And, um, I figured out that if we only did cherries, we'd be doing better off. Wow. So when in 2014, we planted wine grapes and at that time too, we had a consultant come in and go through all of our numbers with everything as well. So it wasn't just me going through it and, you know, just to support what I came up with. And sure enough, he came up with even worse numbers than what I came up with. Um, so like I said, in 2014, we planted the 10 acres of wine grapes and I just planned on selling it to the other wineries in the area because with our farm for that hundred years, we've always sold to the processor. We've always sold to, you know, we were the very bottom of the barrel. Basically. Um, we sell all the cherries to the processor, all the cattle went to auction, all the corn went, it, it went to the processor and we couldn't set a price on anything. So, so that now was, you have some more controls as you get directly to the consumer. Bingo. Exactly. So now, you know, we have a $16 bottle of wine. We have a $70 bottle of wine. And thanks to the consultant we brought in, I have everything broken down now to where I know exactly what it costs me down to the screw cap, down to, you know, the disinfecting wipes that I'm using around the winery. Um, so that's so the, been one of the big things that we've changed as a fourth generation on the farm is knowing where our money's going and where we're making it, where we were losing it, and you know different ideas to change everything. Right, because each generation brings their, uh, you know, wants to make their mark, their legacy. But so part of it is the some financial discipline and and yeah and understanding the numbers. I mean, farming is a super competitive business, but obviously in it for generations then you have the same thing with the wine business. So how, what is your way of sort of separating in that, in that very competitive space and field? It, it, it is competitive. And in our area, there are maybe five or six other wineries in the Antrim County Torch Lake area. Okay. And our hope is that, you know, Traverse City is well-established. Um, what a lot of people aren't familiar with is a Petoskey wine region, which is about an hour and a half, two hours north of Traverse City. That's an up and coming thing. And in order to get to Traverse City, you from Traverse City to Petoskey, you have to travel 31, which goes uh, yep. four or five miles from our winery. So our goal is to break that branch a little bit and just, oh, there's a winery. They start now. So they'll pull off a 31 and you know, hopefully hit our winery with everything. We want to connect Traverse City to the Petoskey wine region, which I think Petoskey's up to 12 or so wineries now. 
Got it. So it's right. There's that known core region and then adjacent areas get some, some reputation and some traffic and following. And exactly. uh, Northern Michigan, we're, we're three miles away from Torch Lake. Okay. And almost everybody in Michigan has heard of Torch Lake. Yep. <laughs> and people all over the country probably wish they were at Torch Lake right now or in many of the seasons. It's still so only the, like 50, 52 degrees, so I'm not, I'm not going in Torch Lake. So the, so the basketball court might be coming. What are, what are some of the other things that you're excited about in the future for Cellar 19 and, and the, this generational farming and, and, uh, and business? So we, have, we still have all the buildings that the cattle used to be in and everything. Um, we still have, you know, the 1100 acres and everything. Um, so really the possibilities are endless with it right now, what we want to do with it. Um, we do have my long-term goal here. Um, we do have a 60 foot tall silo, uh, maybe 50 yards from our tasting room. Um, ultimately I'd like to put a spiral staircase and have a lookout tower at the top of that. Um, because we already have Lake Michigan view from our tasting room. So you go 60 feet in the air, it's beautiful. Uh, we've, we've climbed that quite a few times just on the ladder on the outside of the silo. It's not fun any time that I do it. <laughs> but that would be the same too. So on the back of each wine bottle that we have, we share a different story on the farm. And that's one story that we share is uh, Brian, who was part of the third generation, fell from the top of that silo. Oh, wow. And miraculously, he only broke his foot from it. Ah. He landed on a 220 uh, voltage cord at the <laughs> bottom that was about five to 10 feet off the ground, and that slowed him down enough to where oh my. he only broke his heel to it. And that was my, my grandpa was at the top of the silo, and he saw everything happen. Just the, he said the shoe uh, broke off. And down he went and my grandpa looked over and he said, I don't know what I'm going to see down there. But he quickly went down the silo and saw Brian walking away there. So farming is one of the most dangerous, dangerous uh, jobs there are out there. You you remind me and our listeners of that. I mean, other 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 things we do, we talk about issues, concerns, whatever, but, you know, real life impairing danger. Woo. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. My dad fell from a 18-foot pruning brownie, uh, cracked a few ribs, broke his shoulder, uh, somehow managed to miss the trees that were out there, uh, drove himself back to the farm with all that. Uh, we've rolled tractors out here. Um, yeah, it's it's never a dull moment out here. No, no. Uh you get the, the stories that you all have. <laughs> talk, talk about yourself a little bit. I mean, I share you. I'm a you know, family business boomeranger. I was grew up around it, left, went some other things, was in it, left, came back. So yeah. that part's not uncommon. But for yourself, I mean, it's, it, 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 it can be clearly what you're involved in has been you know, tremendous amount of involvement and all-encompassing kind of business. But what kinds of things do you do to level yourself out to get, I mean, most people get away. They want to go to Torch Lake, but what, what, what do you do to, to, uh, to just for within your, your life or your day? I, I love to work. I don't, I don't know what it is. I love being on the farm. My kids come to the farm all the time. Um, especially now I love what I do. I love wine tasting. That was one thing that I've always loved doing, going places, tasting wines, tasting different wines. 
um, anything along those lines. And my wife and I actually went to Napa uh, in February. And that was a great experience, um, tasting all the different wines and everything. And we learned some, some huge things, I thought, when we came back, back from there. Um, out, outside of the winery, uh, I have twin boys that will be six here pretty soon. Um, they keep oh, me busy. You're, you're loaded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they keep me busy. They keep me active. Uh, to get away from it all, I, I started running again. Um, I'm up at five o'clock in the morning and I get out there and hit the pavement and, you know, it gives me time to think about things and just, uh, get out away from it as well and get that runner's high and just get going for the day. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I share that with you. Maybe you've added cycling and some other things, but yep. Yep. Do that. (laughs) Need that, need that bit to balance it out. Uh, you know, so that you've got, you know, with yourself and Greg and RJ, how, talk about how you all make uh, decisions and, uh, you know, process sort of major moves and things that you're considering for the winery business, the farm, the, the whole operation. We've scheduled it. Um, one thing that our consultant did, he told us that we need to meet more. We need to talk more. <laughs> yeah, there are going to be some tough conversations. And that, that definitely has happened, but I mean, Greg and RJ and I, we can get mad at each other and hate each other for the next 10, 15 minutes, but then we come back and hash it out, figure it out, you know, don't let emotions get the best of us with everything. Um, but especially my brother and I, I mean, Greg and I have had our differences with everything, but we try and meet about once a week just to set the plan, mostly on a Monday to figure out, all right. We need to get this done. We need to get A, B, C, and D done this week. And the list is usually about a mile long. You try and get it done, and then it doesn't go that way. Uh, But then once a month, we also sit down at the beginning of the month, talk finances, talk about what worked, talk about um, different ideas that we have or things that came up in the winery or things that came up out in the orchard. Um, we meet a lot more and we talk a lot more now. Um, and we talk finances and we have those tough, tough conversations that, you know, let's just throw Greg under the bus for now. You know, Greg, you weren't at work until 10, 11 o'clock and you didn't let anybody know. Um, we just try and hold each other more accountable now than what, what's been done in the past. I mean, as you said it, Rob, you talked about your business itself being different than, many of the others that at least on this limited podcast I've talked to, but that the principle of accountability and the regular mm-hmm. scheduling of leadership meetings and, and, and having the ability to just, you know, have the tough conversations. Yeah. Uh, I know from my own experience, you know, younger years in the business, I would think we would get together sometimes as a family and have everything but the conversation we needed to have. Exactly. Talk about the sports game, talk about the, yep. you know, kind of around the edges of it. And yep. it takes some, sometimes it takes either an outsider or some help or some different ways to make sure you get to the matters at hand. Definitely. They, they, they are tough conversations, but they, they need to happen too, because you got to remember, this is a business that we're running here. And yes, we are family, but the ultimate goal, the way we live is from this business. You know, you mentioned the tour of Napa as being sort of inspirational and giving you some ideas. I'm, I'm assuming both from winemaking, which is not something I understand, but you know, the whole tasting room operation, the whole way they present. What are what's another idea that you've you and 
and your family members have gleaned for running your company, maybe that you've implemented recently or that's, that's, that's helping you get better even after 114 years? Well, what I found, especially in the tasting room when we went to Napa, is that you never saw the winemaker, you never saw the owners. You always just saw a hired hand. Okay. Um, and that, that's one thing that really sets us apart from any other winery in the area is that you see me bartending. I'm the winemaker. Yeah. I'm the grape grower. I'm the owner. You see my brother bartending. He you know, manages a farm. My cousin manages a farm. We're all behind the bar. So you get that family feeling right away. And, you know, that, that's one thing that really helps us is that, you know, I introduce myself, I'm Rob, I'm the winemaker and one of the owners. And people are almost shocked that, what, what are you doing out here? Don't you have other things to do? But I've had this discussion with other winemakers and with other wineries, and I can hire uh, other people to go manage the grapes for me. I can hire other people to go take care of the orchard. I can hire other people to do the stuff outside of the winery. But the people behind the bar need to be the ones who care the most about the product, I think. Um, That's my belief to it because we're the ones who put the blood, sweat, and tears into this. Our butts are on the line for this. We have to be able to move that product and sell that product. And we're going to sell it better than anyone else. that's not as heavily involved in it as we are. I am. I imagine that's kind of what Napa must have been like a generation ago. Right? I imagine you yeah. went to these places and there was a name. That name on the bottle. It was those people. And yeah. Through the growth and all that, they became serious operations and. Yep. And yep. Uh, and, and that, that's one thing I don't. That, that's one thing I don't want to do. I told Greg and RJ, I'll, I'll get this place to twenty five hundred cases. I'll make the wine at that point. I'll still bartend manage the grapes. I'm going to be busy as all get out. But at that point, we need to make a decision. Do we want to go bigger into distribution or do we want to just raise our prices a little bit and keep it the family atmosphere? And that's what I'm really focusing or really hoping for is that we keep it the family atmosphere and always yeah. have I think Greg, that, RJ and I behind the bar. That, that uh, I mean, I love talking to different people about that, that concept of trying to profitably and smartly grow these family, in your case, enterprise, yeah. but still keeping that stuff that makes it special and makes and it I, family. I, I think it does make us special that you see the family, you see the generations that have been here. My dad's not a wine drinker. He'll set foot in here on occasion. Brian will sip a glass of wine every now and again. Um, but they kind of let us do our own thing with it too. That's great. Now yeah. you've got the younger twins with Greg, RJ, you are, are there some I mean, there are fifth generation potentially on the horizon, but anybody that's a little bit older or that's being groomed or. So I have the twin boys that are six. They are the youngest. Oh, the youngest. Uh, Okay. Yep. Greg has three girls. RJ has two boys and two girls. So there's potentially nine in the next generation. Um, And RJ has the oldest. I believe Logan will be going into eighth grade this year. Um, and it's fun, too, because I coach Logan in middle school basketball as well. <laughs> so there's a lot of the times that he won't do something right, and I'll just tell him, don't make, don't make me tell your dad about this. <laughs> <laughs> so Logan um, Logan probably has done the most work on the farm so far. He's We have him on a zero turn all the time. He's you know taking mouse guards on and off and painting trees and just doing jobs that don't need a heck of a lot of supervision, but we trust them doing them. Um, and I had my six-year-old twins out there as well back in March, April, when it was a little bit colder, taking mouse guards off. 
it started out by uh, paying them, I think it was five cents a mouse guard. And I figured, oh, they're five years old, six years old. That won't keep them that busy for long. I think by the end of the day, they each had $20. All right. <laughs> so that, that, that. Changed, that changed to being about $5 an afternoon. And they absolutely love it. They get to come to work with dad and dad helps them out. Um, but then they see grandma and grandpa too, and they veer off and then they're gone. So. That's, that's really neat. What, what advice would you give the next gen that's, that's thinking about or wanting to enter this really special business? I did like, and I, I'm all for this on one of your past podcasts you had, they required you to leave the family operation. Okay. And I'm a huge advocate for that because I did, I left it. I saw what was out there and I saw what it took. And I saw that the biggest thing is uh, I'm here. I'm my own boss. And that's one of the greatest things. If I fail, it's all because I didn't put my heart and soul into it. And if I succeed, I did everything <laughs> right at that point. No, I, I, I mean, I certainly, we've taught, we kind of have that as a principle for future generation entering because one, they have to kind of make their own success somewhere else, but it's that ability to bring fresh ideas back into a longstanding operation that are so valuable too. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but different, different organizations have different views about that. Okay. So the part of the advice is to get, get some forms of experience outside of, of this, this, the, the, the business. Absolutely. Any advice you'd tell them to ignore? Uh, don't do it like we're doing it. <laughs> Just uh, you're doing it pretty well. <laughs> don't take our advice. Put it that way, because a lot of the times, you know, because we're still a year old, we really don't know what we have here. Um, we're basically, you know, letting the customer kind of determine what they want to see. Um, obviously, we have ideas in our head what we want to do. But then we also are watching the customer. Where are they going? What are they doing? Um, what are they buying? That's another big thing. Um, it's, it's been such a learning curve on our part, too, because we haven't had a business like this on the farm before. Right. So we it's both the, been all that history and heritage, but it's a new business at the newer business at the same time. Exactly. So as bad as it sounds, we're almost learning as we go along with it, too. We have a plan in our head. But, you know, with the whole lockdown and everything, that was not planned. <laughs> no, and, and I think what's, been, you know, in the earlier days of the lockdown and the pandemic, I sort of canceled some podcast recording sessions just because it was hard to be future visioning, energetic. Yeah. It was just tough. And yeah. it's still very tough. It's just, I think, a little bit more hopeful to be able to talk about things that are going to happen in the future and, and envision that. Uh, so that's obviously a legitimate threat that's on, not on the horizon. We're just all grinding through yeah. uh, and the reopening of our nation and our state and trying to do that healthily and, and appropriately. Any other threats that you see as you look to get to, you know, the next milestone, 125 years? Uh, not at the moment. We, we chose this, this path because like I said, we didn't have too many competing wineries in the area, but what helps us out is that there are a few other wineries yeah. that people do a wine tour then. Um, <clears throat> as of right now, we, we didn't want to start another farm market because within our little region here, we have 
five, six, maybe seven other farm markets already established. So we had to do something completely different to where, you know, we could start something new, but also benefit other people in the area too. And, you know, we thought wine might be the best, best thing for us because we're selling an experience here. Um, you get to see the farm that we've been on for a hundred and plus hundred plus years now. And you've got ability to stay and guests can stay on the farm. Correct. You can do that so part of the operation or we do an Airbnb, Airbnb yep. out of the old farmhouse. And that's been really cool. We've met a lot of really neat people. That with that. Neat. And I've had, uh, I had people call me, they stayed on a Friday night and they called me Saturday morning. They had, and they asked, well, what are you doing today? I said, well, I'm out sucker thinning in the vineyard. And they go, oh, that sounds fun. Can we join? Wow. <laughs> I was like, uh, sure. So they came out. They spent eight hours with me uh, just talking about the grapes, learning about the grapes, and having a great time out there. Um, haven't had that happen before, but that was definitely unique and cool um, because they wanted to know how everything's done. They just wanted to talk about it. They wanted to experience it. So that's also one thing we're talking about doing as well as almost hosting an experience out here. Sure. Um, Put the guests to work. <laughs> exactly. Free labor yeah. is what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we also do, uh, we have it out here today as well. We do this thing called Harvest Host. So okay. with, I don't know Harvest Host. What's that? Harvest Host is a website that you can go to and you can become a member for $50, $60, $70 or so. And it gives you access to thousands of places in the U.S. and Canada that allow campers, RVs, motorhomes, whatever, to stay on your property. And the only fee for them to do that is they have to buy something at your place of business. Hmm. So, and, and it can be the cheapest thing on the menu. It can be the trail mix that we have for a dollar. Um, or we've had people buy one, two, three cases of wine as well. So it all balances out in the end. Um, but I find that really cool because in that aspect too, we've met some really neat people. We had some people from Ireland that, that had their uh, RV shipped over to Nova Scotia. And from Nova Scotia, uh, until once they met up with us, they were 50,000 miles into their journey. Wow. They went all over the U.S., and they were headed back to Nova Scotia to ship their vehicle back over. And I, we had a couple just left here today um, that had a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And they were living in the city. And they got tired of their jobs and living in the city with everything going on. They sold their house, bought a camper, bought a truck, and they were bringing their kids all over the U.S. Right. What's, what city were they living in? I can't, I think it was Chicago, I want to okay. say. A big city in the U.S. And a big city, yeah. Time to get away. Exactly. And yeah. that, it's just, it's cool. You meet a lot of, lot of neat people that, have, that are doing this Harvest House thing. That, that's, I got to look that up. Did not know anything about that. Is it's there, camping, but it's still fun. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you or to touch on as it relates to, I mean, you know, it's hard to bottle, if you will, pun intended, uh, you know, a hundred plus year family fourth generation operation but there's you know there's unique things along that timeline anything that i neglected to kind of touch on or that you wanted to share as part of the shook story 
I'm sure I missed a bunch of it. It's been 105 years, 106 years. Um, but it is, we're, we're show we're so happy to share this story that we have. Um, and we're so grateful to have this opportunity from the past generations. Um, we think though that our great grandparents aren't happy with us <laughs> because my dad said that he found a check written out back in the twenties to, uh, it was a Michigan almost prohibition. Oh, company. like temperance stuff. Yes. Your Michigan temperance, days. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Uh, okay. <laughs> Actually that makes it even, that's an even greater story. It probably, right. They probably more, they got caught up in the, the politics of the time. Yep. And it was a check for $6, which we figured out was equivalent to over $200 in today's time. A significant contribution at that time to that. Movement. At that time, yes. And here we are. I'm sipping on wine right now and yeah. we're selling bottles of wine and hard cider. I think we got that one right in the Constitution, ultimately. What yep. uh, last question I love to ask everybody is, is really what they find the most fulfilling thing about being part of a generational family business. What would that be for you, Rob? It's it's a positive and a negative is that I get to work with family all the time. Um, there are great days when we're all getting along and everybody's happy and, you know, we, we get out outside of here as well. And we make certain not to talk about work. Great. Um, just get away from everything and, you know, enjoy time out on the pontoon or, you know, just go do something else and get away from it all. Um, I love working with family. I hate working with family. It's just, Everybody, I think, feels that same way. But I mean, you're your own boss and, you know, we're holding each other accountable a little bit more. And we live in a beautiful area um, to enjoy everything, especially raising a family here. And that was one thing, too, with the winery is we were really on the fence about making it kid friendly. Um, but all of our wives work. So my wife, Michelle, Greg's wife, Jenny, RJ's wife, Keegan they all have jobs outside of, you know, well, sorry, they all have outside or they all have jobs, ex, you know, besides being a mother. Um, Got it. So at some points, RJ needs to bring his kids to work. I need to bring my kids to work. Mm -hmm. Frank brings his kids to work. So it is very kid friendly. We have tether ball out back. We're going to put a basketball hoop up. We're just trying to get kids outside, get them away from the iPad. And <laughs> my, my boys come up here. And we had our uh, one-year grand opening a while back, and my wife and kids were here for five hours. And she goes, I didn't even see the kids for five hours. They were out in the cornfield catching bugs, just, you know, being outdoors and enjoying the time here. So, you know, raising the family here, too, is just a beautiful thing on the family farm. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful thing. So many companies, you know, have one day in their whole year of bringing your child to work day. And yeah. <laughs> you, you got it going on on all around. Um, we have, tell, so, tell, tell the listeners, you will, I mean, you know, it's obviously coming to the Cellar 19 tasting room and operation, but are there ways that people can um, taste your wines and get a hold of your product through some other channels yet? Yeah, so you can visit our Facebook page, visit our website, Cellar1914.com. We ship wine now to 38 different states, I believe. Right. That was kind of a panic thing when COVID came and we went on lockdown and we had no way of moving the product besides shipping it. So that was put into the wheels. Wheels were in motion pretty quick on that one. 
And so visit our website, visit the Facebook page, and you can buy bottles. I think the minimum bottle order is two at the time. Um, okay. And we'll get it shipped out to you as fast as possible. Well, Rob Shooks from Seller 1914, you said you're the numbers guy. I'm a pretty decent numbers guy, but yet I butchered the heck out of the math of how long you've all been around. And it's 1914. I should, <laughs> 1914. should have gotten that a little bit straighter. But I, 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 no, I thank you for, for sharing that story with us and the stories that are being made. And, and uh, I look forward to sharing some of your wine with some family and friends. Absolutely. And, uh, well, thank you for having we'll, me. I we'll, appreciate we'll be it. rooting for you. Thanks again. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienenfeld at SMZ for helping make Generation Excellence, well, excellent. Until next time, I'm Jamie Michelson. <laughs>